Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. So uh, today we are continuing our series in uh, the story, uh, Joseph's story, uh, that is found in Genesis, and we're calling the series Intended for Good. Um, and uh, for all, so this is Joseph in Genesis, and I say that because, um, for all of you trivia nuts, uh, there are more than 10 Josephs in the Old and New Testament put together. So there's a lot of Josephs, um, but we're talking about the only one. <laughs> and that's the one in Genesis. So uh, I thought we'd begin today with uh, me sharing from the very best baby name book in the whole wide world. And that's not an exaggeration. That's exactly what it's called. The very best baby name book in the whole wide world. So, you know, names have meanings. Um, and this says this book has over 30,000 baby names complete with, you know, names have meanings, origins, and nicknames. So for example, my name is Jonathan, and Jonathan means gift of God. You're welcome. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun today. Uh, if uh, So if you raise your hand if you don't know the meaning of your name, and I'll take two volunteers, and we'll just do it right now. Oh, she raised her hand, and then she said no. You, you, do you know the meaning of your name? You don't? Would you like to know? Okay. So you, what's your name for everyone? Which one do you want me to look up? <laughs> Irene or Natalie? Okay. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Irene. Because <laughs> I have the mic and I have the book. So, so there. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, I, J. Okay, there we go. Uh, so talk amongst yourselves. Irene. P, Q, R. Irene, there it is. Okay, so Irene is, um, it, uh, has its origins in the Greek language, and it means peaceful. Um, and it comes from Reina, um, or the mythology of, of the goddess of peace. So there you go, Irene, peace. Hmm. Okay, I'm, I just went to another place, but we'll, I'll talk about that later on the patio. Okay, someone else? Everybody else? Andrew. Wait, but that's not your name. Uh, oh, <laughs> her name is Carol, but she just threw out a random name. No, <laughs> Steve, uh, Andrew. Okay, so let's look up Andrew. Now, if you didn't know, there's this thing called the Google, and you could probably just Google your name and find out. But this is, you know, old school and fun. Andrew. Okay, again, uh, rooted in the Greek language. Oh, you're you're gonna like this. Strong, manly courageous. There you go. So feel good about yourself. You're strong, manly, and courageous. courageous. Oh. <laughs> so he did. Okay, got it. All right. So why am I, <laughs> why are we doing all of this? Uh, so uh, why, why are we doing this today? Because in today's scripture, there are two baby names that are going to be, uh, that we're going to be introduced to. And the, the names uh, mentioned will also have meanings, and I propose that at this point in the Joseph story, the two names mentioned and their meanings will give us 
uh, insight into Joseph's emotional and mental and spiritual state. And I'll say a little more about that later. And I believe by the presence of the Holy Spirit at work among us, perhaps by exploring these names, um, we ourselves will find some healing or if nothing else, some, some inspiration. So Genesis chapter 41 verses 39 through 40 and then jumping to 46 through 57. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, that's Joseph, uh, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall oversee my palace and all my people are to submit, submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the Pharaoh king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like sand of the sea, it was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asen, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. There was a famine in all the other lands, but the whole land of Egypt, in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food, and Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the, uh, Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Let's pray. Loving God, as we turn our attention uh, to your word, uh, Holy Scripture, Lord, we uh, pray that these words would enter into our hearts and minds and uh, transform and inspire us. Uh, may the words of my mouth and our thoughts and meditations be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So before I talk about the baby names, um, it's important that I'm going to review, kind of review the, the, the story narrative of, of Joseph, and this is going to take a little time, but it's important to do so because it puts the names in context. The names uh, are more powerful and better understood when they're in context of Joseph's larger story. So um, if you've been following, coming for the last several weeks, um, uh, we would remember that this story begins with Joseph, and believe it or not, he was 17 years old when this story begins. Joseph is the favored child of uh, his father, Jacob, um, and we know that because he was given the amazing, you know, electric color dream coat, which is right there in the Bible. Um, no, he's given a special robe because he's the honored son. And, uh, and at the age 17, he has two dreams, and in these two dreams, uh, when they're interpreted, 
essentially they're interpreted uh, that his family will bow down to him as the person of honor. So it is because of this that his brothers are jealous of him. And the story uh, proceeds to a uh, kind of a, a vignette where, where Jacob sends Joseph out to visit his brothers who are shepherding in the fields um, to check in on them. And when he does that, his brothers are jealous enough of him that they um, plot to murder him. And it is the oldest brother, Reuben, who decides maybe that's not a good idea. Um, and it's kind of interesting because it kind of insinuates that there's no profit in murder. You can read it yourself. What happens is uh, because if they, and, or maybe Reuben just wants to save his, his brother. We don't know, but read it. It's in there. It's interesting. So they, they decide they're going to murder him. And then Reuben says, no, let's not. Let's just sell him into slavery. And they throw him into the bottom of the cistern and they see this caravan of Midianites uh, coming their way and they sell their brother into slavery uh, and that, uh, that caravan is heading off to Egypt. Now, the brothers cover up all of this by taking that, that coat, that, that dream coat, <laughs> and, uh, and basically taking goat's blood, splashing it on it, and then they re return to their father saying, we don't know what happened. He was probably killed. All we, we found all this blood on his coat, and his father is broken up because of that. So that's how Joseph finds his way into Egypt, and, it's, and he's a slave when he gets to Egypt, and he is sold into Potiphar's household. Potiphar is a government official, and one of the interesting things, there's kind of many parallels, but one of the things that we're going to see in Joseph's life is that everywhere he goes, uh, I, I like to say he has the Midas touch. Like, he enters as a slave, and yet in the household of Potiphar, he, he, cries, he, he climbs the corporate ladder and ends up being Potiphar's right-hand man and is running everything. We have to keep in mind, yes, he's running everything, but he's also a slave. So um, Potiphar, Potiphar, I'm trying to do this as quickly as I can, <laughs> talking fast. Okay, um, so Potiphar's wife uh, tries to seduce him. Uh, it is because of Joseph's integrity uh, to Potiphar and to God that he resists that temptation. Uh, Potiphar's wife then falsely accuses him, and, um, as, and, and essentially Joseph ends up being thrown now in prison. So he's been thrown to the bottom of a cistern, and now he's languishing in prison. Now, again, he starts just, you know, there's a saying, you know, uh, get up, suit up, and show up. And that's what he does. He just, with integrity, just does what the work that's in front of him. And again, he climbs whatever corporate ladder there is in a prison system, and he becomes the right-hand man to the warden, and he's basically running the prison. But again, he's not a slave now. He's a prisoner. Um, so there's some irony there. Um, okay, so he then, uh, there are two prisoners that, that are thrown into the prison, and one is the former cupbearer of Pharaoh, and the other is the baker of Pharaoh. And they both have dreams, and their dreams are very similar. So I'm going to show, uh, kind of uh, highlight uh, what's going to happen here. We're going to see a series of dreams that leads to the structure of the story. Joseph has two dreams. Then we have the cupbearer and the baker that has two parallel dreams. Uh, and then in a moment, the, the pharaoh is going to have two dreams as well. Um, so the cupbearer, uh, essentially, uh, they find Joseph and they say, please interpret the dreams. And the cupbearer receives good news. Within three days, you are going to be restored to your role. And the baker, whose dream is very similar to the, the cupbearer, goes, awesome. I'm going to tell him my dream and receive some good news too. 
And when he does, the irony is, Joseph says, unfortunately for you, in three days you're going to be put to death, which he is. Now, in my mind's eye, uh, and I'm going to slow it down a little. At this point, there's this moment where, where the cupbearer is going to be restored to the service of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And, uh, you know, it's, for me, it's kind of like we're all in the dungeon, and it's kind of like this door. There's a, 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 a caged gate, and, you know, the cupbearer is getting out, and he's heading out the door. And, like, like there's Joseph back here, and he's saying, he's saying, hey, put a good word in for me. Because, you, you know, I'm, I've been falsely accused and, and you know, I don't, put, I don't deserve to be here. Put a good word. And it's like the cupbearer kind of looks over his shoulder and goes, will do. And then I just see the gate going, you know. Well, the, the cupbearer says he will put in a good word for Joseph, but it's actually two more years that he languishes in prison. Now, I'm going to put some uh, timestamps on this. This whole story, the arch of the narrative, Joseph was set about 17 turning 18. Um, when he interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, it's been a decade. He's been in all of the story that I've told you has been 10 years. An additional two years pass before Pharaoh has his two dreams and is looking for them to be interpreted, at which point the cupbearer is like, I know a guy. And he's like, so they, they bring Joseph out of prison. They clean him up and they bring him over. So it has now been 12 years since all of this has happened, and Joseph is brought into the presence of Pharaoh and then interprets those dreams in terms of seven years of um, plenty and then seven years of famine. Joseph has experienced a lifetime of hardship. Favoritism, rejection from his family, mistreatment, false accusation, injustice, betrayal, and, uh, you know, one question we ought to ask, it's appropriate to ask, is did he suffer? Um, did he question? Uh, did he sink into despair? And the reason why these questions are important is because what I've learned as we've gone back to study this uh, as a church and within our Wednesday night growth group is that when you actually read the story, we get no emotional insight. We get no mental insight. We get no spiritual insight to, to Joseph. It's, it's just the facts. This is what the story is, but there's no character develop in terms of what is happening with Joseph. So oftentimes what we do as readers is we're like, well, if I was thrown into prison or if I was betrayed by my family or, you know, we think of these terrible things that falsely accused and so on. When we think of these things, we take well, if I was in issues, I would be mad. I would be upset. Um, I might question, why has God done this to me? You know, all these things. But the truth is, we are actually reading our emotions into the story. If you actually look at the text, we have no insight. It's just the facts. This happened to Joseph. This is what happens next, and so on and so forth. Like I said, we've seen a, a lifetime of hardship in Joseph's life in a short window of just 12 years. But instead of crippling him, instead of holding him down, dragging him down, up to this point, all of these events in his life shaped him and empowered him to face his future. And so the first point of the outline today, putting uh, the names that we'll explore in a moment into context is this. Don't deny that your past prepares you for your future. Don't deny that your past prepares you. So verse 39 reads, 
And this is Pharaoh speaking to Joseph. There was no one so discerning and so wise as you. And, and the word that I uh, key in on is, is, is the word wise, wisdom. Wisdom uh, is the sum total for me of life experience plus knowledge. Life experience plus knowledge. And let me give you an example of this. As many of you know, for a long time, I was the youth pastor here. And uh, it took me a while to catch on to this, and let me explain. Uh, I want you to imagine junior hires, and uh, they're, they're the hardest to teach. <laughs> and, and I want you to imagine specifically a junior high boy, maybe 12 or 13 years old. And um, so I, I was the youth leader. I've been here for about two years, and I'm teaching. And, and again and again and again, I'd, I'd find myself in this situation. I would teach the content of a lesson, content, knowledge over here. And at every lesson, I would then try to pivot. And with the kids in the room, junior hires, junior high boys, I'd say, okay, how does this apply to your life? And they would, like sponges, they get the information. Like they're used to going to school. They're used to like absorbing a bunch of information. But when I would pivot and say, how does this apply to your life? Junior high boys specifically would just be like, huh? And you know, what, it, first it was just a one-off, but then I would teach again and again and again, and it was the same thing. Huh? So then I realized, oh, it took me a while to recognize, wait, they're junior high boys. They're 12 years old. They've grown up in suburban Simi Valley. Like, how much life experience do they have to take these lessons and apply them? So when I asked them, how do you apply them, they would be like, oh, Right? So wisdom is life experience plus knowledge. Okay. It's important for us to then realize that uh, we, we can't deny that our own past experiences actually prepare us for our future. And that's, in a sense, the beginning of wisdom. So at this point, let's look at some baby names. At this point, I'm going to argue that the names given to Joseph's sons summarize Joseph's emotional journey, spiritual journey, mental journey up to this point. And it's something that we haven't had any insight into up until this point in the narrative. So starting with Manasseh. Manasseh, the firstborn son, verse 51. Manasseh, because God has made me forget my trouble. Because God has made me forget my trouble. So firstly, regarding Joseph's emotional state. The name implies that Joseph actually acknowledges that he's experienced trouble, that he's experienced pain, that he's experienced suffering, something that we haven't seen in the story yet. The name says, because God has made me forget my trouble. Oh, my goodness, Joseph is not a robot. So we've got that. And, and there's the same time heals all wounds. And like I said, it's been 12 years since this narrative has begun and to where he finds himself with his firstborn. From being sold into slavery and then becoming Pharaoh's right-hand man. Now, time may have been a factor in Joseph's healing. In the name Manasseh, Joseph acknowledges God's role in the healing. Joseph doesn't thank Father Time for his healing, but he thanks his good, good father, his father in heaven. Joseph didn't accomplish the healing by his own power. He accomplished the healing by God's power at work 
Too many people never shake free from what John Bunyan described in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, as the swamp of despond. Despond means depressed by loss of confidence, depressed by loss of courage and hope. In Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the swamp of despond is, and I quote, this miry swamp, a place that cannot be mended. It is the descent where the scum and the filth attached to the personal conviction of sin, the, the personal conviction of our brokenness doth continually run. Therefore, it is called the swamp of despond. For still as a person is continually awakened about one's lost condition, there arises in one's soul fears. There arises in one's soul doubts. There arises in one's soul the discouraging apprehensions. All of them together settle into this place. And this is the reason of the badness of this ground. The swamp of despond. Too many people never shake free from the swamp of despond. If anyone had the right to sink into despondency, it's Joseph. However, within the name Joseph chooses for his firstborn son, Manasseh, God has made me forget my trouble, there is a message of hope that is passed on to us. For whatever trouble you may find yourself in, whether it's financial, whatever trouble you may find yourself in, whether it's relational, or perhaps it's your health, or it's spiritual in nature, if God can deliver Joseph from a place of despondency to a place of healing, is it not also possible for God to do the same for you as well? Have hope. Have hope. Don't allow your past to hold you captive. By the hand of God, Joseph's past did not become a ball and chain. Joseph's past didn't become an anchor that held him captive. We may not always be released from our discouraging memories, but by the power of God, we can be set free from their burden. Don't allow your past to hold you captive. We can have faith, we can have hope, that in the same way God allowed Joseph to forget his past troubles and move forward, so too can God also deliver us. So, number one, let's not deny that our past troubles prepare us for our future and hold these in tension. Let's not deny that our past troubles prepare us for our future, both our highs and our lows, but at the same time, let's not allow our past to hold us captive from our future either. Lastly, number three, don't let your past steal your present. Don't let your past steal your present. So the second name is Ephraim. Ephraim, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So we've discussed how God has the power to deliver us from the swamp of despond, from the things that weigh us down and depress us from the past. But in the name Ephraim, what we learn is that Joseph had the capacity, if only even for a moment, to exercise gratitude. He had the capacity to 
exercise thankfulness. God has made me fruitful in the midst of my suffering, in the land of my suffering. It's an amazing name, and it's a statement of, um, of success, or that's not the right word, not success. Triumph, that's the word. It's a statement of triumph. Because once again, we can see into Joseph's mental and emotional and spiritual state. Joseph in no way is in denial of the pain. He's not in denial of the suffering that he's gone through. It's not as if God allowed Joseph to forget in such a way that he can just pretend that the nightmare never happened. The nightmare that was 12 years of his life. Yet in the midst of that nightmare, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, Joseph displays the capacity to count his blessings. Ephraim, you have made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. How I wish for all of us to be able to do the same. To be able into the midst of whatever pain and suffering we are currently experienced to also see, even in the smallest things, God's goodness in the present. Even in the smallest things, God's goodness in the moment. So how do we ground ourselves in the present? How do we liberate ourselves from the past, and, and how do we not get overly anxious about the future? Now, I don't have all the answers. I really don't. <laughs> um, but I have a suggestion. Um, and part of this is just triggered, not triggered, but kind of uh, inspired by several conversations I've had over the last month. Um, and then it also reminds me of a conversation that I had years ago with someone. And, uh, and, and because, and the conversation literally that I had this week was, I, I underestimate or assume uh, the power of breathing exercises. Just But simply uh, um, exercising breathing like that grounds us in the moment. And I've always kind of just underestimated that um, until I was reflecting on some of these conversations and how powerful they can be. And uh, I remember one conversation uh, uh, with a, a young woman, this was many years ago, and she opened my eyes to this idea of, of what she would call breath prayers, that she would breathe in when, when she was feeling overwhelmed um, and distracted, she would just take a deep breath and say, less of me, more of you. And the idea of just telling herself to get out of the way and allow God to work in her life, less of me, more of you. And so I, I take this idea and I, and, I, and I, how do we stay grounded in the present? And I think of Joseph and I think of this name that he's giving his son, Ephraim, and it's almost like a breath prayer to me. Ephraim, God has made me faithful in the land of my suffering. Ephraim, every time that child tugged on his leg, took his hand, ran off, and he had to, Ephraim, come back here. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So don't let your past steal your present. So, in conclusion, today we reviewed Joseph li Joseph's life up to this point in, Gen in the Genesis narrative. And, in, and we've done that in order to contextualize the meaning of these two names, Manasseh and Ephraim. And the name Manasseh 
we glean that in the same way God has liberated Joseph from the pain of his past, so too can we hope for God to anoint us with the same blessing. And in the name Ephraim, we are reminded and we are encouraged in our present state of being. We are reminded and encouraged to, in the midst of our land of suffering, identify God's blessings nonetheless.
Your name. 